morning, I invite you now to stand for our call to worship. Come, all who seek to trust in God and commit ourselves. Come, all you who delight in the wonder of God. We do not Now turn with me to hymn number two, Come Thou, Thou Almighty King. Let us pray. Oh God, we are thankful for this time this morning as we come together as one body to worship you. We pray that you are with us this morning in our chaos, in our structure, in our woundedness, and in our wholeness, in our wandering, and in our steadiness. We pray that your presence is known amongst us this day. May your comfort and peace be realized. May your ways of love be practiced. And may your grace abound in us all. We pray this in the name of the Christ. Amen. Before we pass the peace, I want to acknowledge the existence of viruses and diseases in our lives. 
It is a season of flu and with the rise of other dangerous diseases globally, I want to give you options. Many in our congregation may have lowered immune systems. So as you pass the peace of Christ this morning, if you are weary of any infection, please feel free to give a wave or an elbow bump or just to speak a word of greeting and affirmation uh, to one another. We want everyone to stay as healthy as possible and so please be mindful of the needs of the neighbors seated around you. Now, may we pass the peace of Christ to one another. That was so much fun to watch. <laughs> I really wish Herb Campbell was here. We have for a long time passed what I now understand is called the Ebola elbow. <laughs> and then of course there's always the honor we have. We may want to call it the Holy Bow. Namaste. Which is a good one. In fact, if someone reaches for your hand that's always a very polite way of just saying, I'm not going to shake your hand, but I'm still honoring the fact that you wanted to engage us. I also understand that a hug or an elbow bump is better than a handshake. The handshake is really one of the most germ-producing ways to pass our peace. But I hadn't thought of this one. The choir did it, and I thought it was really beautiful. Like, they're so, you know, capable of knowing the popular thing. And that's the Hollywood air kiss. Did you see that? The but not really making contact. So there are many different ways for us to express our welcome to you and we are indeed glad that you are with us today. We have information about our church available um, in pamphlet form, but also a card that you might tell us a little bit about yourself if you would like. You can give that out in the foyer or pass that in the offering plate. We are so glad that you are here today. And I'm also here to announce an omission in the bulletin but not an omission in our hearts, and that is our continued emphasis on why I love Central. And at this time, we will hear from Claudia Hall, who will bring to us um, her uh, greetings. And also, come on up. You don't have to wait. Come on. Uh, who let us know about uh, her reflections on why she loves Central Baptist Church. Welcome, Claudia. Thank you. Wait, ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like Hollywood. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Claudia Hall, and I have been a member of Central since 2009. When we first started talking about uh, sharing our why we love Central, my first thought was something like, why wouldn't I love Central? I mean, who wouldn't, right? But as I started giving it more thought, I really began to think about the why. Now, I admittedly am a person who loves most everything. <laughs> Let me clarify that. I am a person who finds something I love in most everything and everyone. So I decided to give it a bit more thought. 
Now some of you will remember David Letterman. For those of you who aren't familiar, David Letterman was a late night talk show host in the 80s. And part of his show was a segment called the Top 10 List. Now the theme for the list could be anything. Top 10 James Bond gadgets or top 10 signs you're a terrible cook, whatever. The idea is that the list would count down from 10 to one until they reached the number one whatever. So I give you today my top 10 list of why I love Central. Number 10, the front door. When I walk up the steps to the doors of Central, typically the first faces I encounter are Thomas and Don Colliver. Now Thomas, he, he's like Cher or Oprah, we don't have to even say Thomas's last name, we just know Thomas. And on cold days, uh, Don Colliver will be standing there, uh, oftentimes in his warm coat and the, what are the ear thing, earmuffs. He'll sometimes have his ear thingies on. And many times before he even says good morning to me, he'll say to me, where's your coat? Now Don doesn't say this to me because he really is wondering what, where my coat is. It is in the car, did I leave it at home? Is it at the dry cleaners? No, he does not care where my coat is. He says it to me because he wants me to be warm. I love that about Central. Number nine, the foyer. Oh, the foyer. The foyer is like a 30 minute party every week. Right, I mean it is, I mean there's food and drinks and we're mingling and we're talking. It's a mini party every Sunday. I love that about Central. Number eight, my Sunday school class. Now we all think our Sunday school class is the best, right? I know we do, but mine really is the best. I mean it's standing room only some Sundays. If you get there late, you have to sit right up front by Jeff, and it's not even awkward. Uh, we cover a multitude of subjects. We, um, in that class, we laugh, we pray, and sometimes we cry. I love that about Central. Number seven, the choir. Ugh. Our choir is so amazing, aren't they? There are days when I am so moved by what their beautiful voices bring to us that I almost cry. They are gifted and they remind me of just a family, a really talented family. Just a whole family of people that love each other and can really sing. I love that about Central. Number six, our welcome. Now most Sunday mornings we are welcomed by Aaron Austin. Sometimes of course it's Charles or Mark. But most Sundays it is Aaron. And Aaron has coined a phrase. Whether it's your first Sunday here or you have been with us for decades, we are glad you're here and you are welcome. That gets me every time. And it gets me because he means it. It's true. And we are all welcome here. I love that about Central. Number five, I am a person who likes to talk. No kidding, I am. Over the years, very rarely, 
over the years, I, from time to time, I have needed a shh. My friend, he's not here today, but my friend John Burke sits behind me, and he has shushed me more times than I can count. <laughs> but I need it, and I find it endearing, and I know when I do need it, he will never hold back. I love that about Central. Number four, in reference to, and the opposite of the aforementioned I like to talk, there is a time right before the service when people are coming in, they're mingling in, they're settling in. And oftentimes I will make eye contact with many people. Those times are some of my very favorite. No words necessary, just seeing each other, really seeing each other for someone to know that I am happy they're here. And I know they're happy I'm here. I love that about Central. Number three, there are several ladies in this church that mean so, so much to me. Many of them are old enough to be my mother. We have shared our lives we have laughed together, cried together, prayed together. They have taken me into their hearts and they are in mine. And I love that about Central. Number two, Mark. <laughs> Here we go. Now Mark will tell you that he brings to us what he brings to us because of us. And he's right. We are what we are because we walk this path together. Now Mark can be demanding. He demands that we dig really deep and find our best selves. He asks us to find it in here and bring it out there to everyone that we cross paths with. I love that about Central. Number one, the number one on the top 10 list of why I love Central, I should have asked for a drum roll here. <laughs> the number one reason is really simple. It's all these things. It's all of you. It's me finding my best self here, sometimes in the most difficult days, and surely in the most joyful. I know I have all of you beside me. It's knowing that on cold mornings, if I don't have my coat, it's okay. Once I get here, it'll be so warm, I won't even need it. Thank you. Our Hebrew scripture reading is from Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. invite you now to join with me in a time of confession, something that we often do during the season of Lent together. And as we take a few moments to settle in to the presence of God in us, among us, and beyond us, we know that we offer these words together, that we are all in need of God's presence with us, of healing and of grace. So let's read together and join me as we pray our prayer of confession. Inescapable God, we confess that we are often hesitant to come near you, for then you might see our faces twist in anger as we speak hurtful words. You might hear the silence of our fearful hearts as we turn away from those in need. You might touch the broken places in our lives that we are not ready to heal. We confess that we are also often hesitant to come near to one another. Reveal to us the mystery of your grace, O God, and pour out your mercy upon us. Remind us that your love is unyielding and unchanging. And now, Lord, hear our prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Let's pray again, please. Dear God, the human tendency to do the opposite of what's right or what's best is heavy upon us. We try to hide our sin from you even though there is no hiding our sin. And yet we know that when we open ourselves to you and admit fully the wrongdoings, the shortcomings, the places where we have fallen short of being your people, that your forgiveness is there, your renewal is there, your peace is there. So give us the courage to always be willing to accept our part in what goes wrong and then accept the responsibility for doing better the next time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to stand now for the hearing of the gospel lesson as we focus this Lenten season on the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I invite you to not only hear these words today, but perhaps to ponder deeply this important sermon from our Lord during these 40 days of Lent. I begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets 
who were before you. For the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
Don't worry, that wasn't the knee. <clears throat> Writing this week in the New York Times, John Meacham, author of the book, The Soul of America, The Battle for Our Better Angels, and a person I heard speak in Nashville in 2017, and one I believe to be one of America's finest orators living. You may have heard him speak or remember him speaking at, John Herbert, at George Herbert Walker Bush's funeral at the Washington Cathedral. Anyway, he had this to say. I am a Christian, a very poor one, but there we are. But I am also a historian and contemplating the beginnings of the story of my ancestral faith has led me to think about the uses of Jesus down through the eons. Yes, Christianity has been used as an instrument of repression. But in the living memory of Americans, it also has been deployed as a means of liberation and progress. Which feeds the hope that it can be a force for good. Once more. Throughout all of history, Christianity has been, option one, an instrument of repression. Or option two, a means of liberation and progress. My purpose during this season of Lent 2020 is really a prayer. Laying a groundwork to discern and resist option one when Christianity has been employed for oppression in order to embrace, celebrate, and renew a Christian faith that can set us free, all of us, all the people of the earth. In beginning, allow me to address what I'm terming you better watch out theology. A fear-based system, I think, underwrites many forms of Christian oppression. And even if you don't embrace this viewpoint, you know its chorus and you can sing its melody. And at the risk of having this song stuck in your head for the rest of the afternoon, here it goes. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why God is going to get you. You see, the popular argument goes that there is this, this Old Testament God of vengeance. And even though we now follow the New Testament God of grace, we know what God is really like. In fact... God's great anger has been brewing on high steam since the time of Adam and Eve in the garden and has only been temporarily mollified by the death of his son upon the cross, satisfying God's bloodlust for a sacrifice and offering us a short reprieve to get into the club before we are thrown into the wilderness and the raging fires of hell for all eternity. As I'm prone to say, 
there was a time in a Baptist church you could get an amen for stuff like that. Maybe you still can in some places. No, 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 no. That's just the biggest expression of that. Now, you may have grown up on a steady diet of this sort of theology. A God who can't decide whether to love us or hate us. To accept us or condemn us. To lift us up or to stomp us out. And I'm suggesting one of the best things that you might be able to give up this Lent, if this has been something plaguing you, is an image of such a bipolar and ultimately abusive deity. A deity that legitimizes much of the violence we visit upon each other. And instead, reaffirm, confess your devotion to the one true God, whose fundamental nature is unchanged, wholesome, healthy, consistent, orderly, and constant. Even our understanding of the mystery of the Trinity, God in three, affirms the equality that fundamentally exists consistently within God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, that Jesus, His human face, and His teachings are the clearest revelation we have of God's own fundamental self. Or as I am stretched in my thinking through the language of sacramental relationality, I wish to ponder and live more deeply into this truth. The mystery of God's loving relationship within God's own self. The mystery of God's loving relationship within God's own self that we are invited to join, that we are invited to participate in and be a part of a dance, mysterious, wonderful, heavenly dance of love. But first, a quick antidote. My wife Donna, who is Catholic, was asked by a co-worker this week about Lent. Isn't that when you have to eat fish on Fridays, she asked. And if you don't know why that might be funny, is that the co-worker had it backwards. Observant Catholics during Lent don't eat meat on Ash Wednesday or on any of the Fridays of the 40-day period of Lent, including Good Friday, two days before Easter. So eating fish on Fridays is an option, not a requirement. I use this illustration because it demonstrates a sincere Christian practice that is done during Lent by millions of believers that is not shared by other millions of believers, Protestants and certainly Baptists. 
But it's something that Christians have been doing for over 500 years at least. Now, more contemporary insights might now highlight the benefits of restricting meat consumption. It's good for your health. It's good for the environment. And if you care about the humane treatment of animals, it's pretty good for them too. But the questions I put before the legalist are these. What are you so afraid of? For it seems that those who live in this kind of box of fear are those most prone to oppress somebody else. And if God is really always out to get you because you don't do everything exactly right, then what chance do you have of your performance record up against something as powerful as God? Or is it just more reasonable to assume our accountability is connected to the natural consequences of our behavior than some deliberate punishment protocol, protocol designed by the Almighty? My point is that rules are not meant to be merely restrictive or a litmus test to prove or disprove our morality. But instead, if we think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we find this comprehensive treatment of why the law liberates us rather than limits our freedoms. And some rules, informed by better knowledge, wisdom, and experience, may change over time. But other religious instructions, like respecting your elders, or not killing other humans. Or not stealing from them or trying to cheat them out of something legitimately theirs are universal and common to all different religious groups, whether they are Christian or not. Why? Because the accumulated wisdom behind thousands of years of human civilizations have taught these principles are a better way to live with one another. The better way to ensure peace, stability, safety, and to maximize our great life fulfillment. We do these things, not because they are arbitrary or because they're trying to prove something before God, but because they just are good ways to be living in life. Ultimately, rules and traditions and laws are given to us not to test our obedience as we've often used to interpret what's been called the forbidden fruit, but to allow us to live more freely in the world. As someone has described it to me, a Kentuckian, a horse learns how to run best when held freely in rain. What if that crucial moment that we read about in Genesis with Adam and Eve was not a call to failure, but a call toward responsibility? To be more mature with the choices that they've made. To move from shame over wrongdoing 
toward being responsible as true sons, true daughters, and true children of God, true children of God's. What if it wasn't about a problem to be solved, but a permission to be granted to take on strongly this enormous and challenging task of having being presented with good and evil and always trying to live toward the good, even while recognizing that at times I don't always choose what is best. Which leads to another fallacy more common among progressives and conservatives, believing that we kind of live in this laissez-faire, permissive aeon of grace where whatever I do is of no consequence. Doesn't matter to God or to the world, I'll do what I want, thank you very much. So what is a better way? What's a way we might be able to start thinking about some of this differently? I find one clue in the Hebrew word hesed, or better pronounced chesed, a pronunciation you probably should resist during a coronavirus scare. But hesed is found over 250 times throughout the Hebrew scriptures and is translated by such English words as steadfast love, the New Revised Standard Version, or goodness, or great loyalty, as we find in the contemporary English translation, or simply love that we find in the New International Version. It can describe the deep loyalty and commitment between two individuals, like it's so beautifully presented in the book of Ruth to describe Ruth's incredible fidelity to her mother-in-law, Naomi, or it can describe the deep loyalty and commitment between people or persons and God. When you keep your promises of commitment and especially seek to do something good for another's benefit without any concern for yourself, you are practicing hesed, love, loyal, committed, deep, permanent love. And it's this love that has been God's real project and plan all along since the beginning of time. Hesed love, true for Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, don't forget about her, and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel, the judges, King David, the prophets, perfected in Jesus, hesed love, renewed by the disciples, including Peter and Paul and Mary. Yes, them too. And all of us. And while humans are capable of breaking Hesed, God never will. God's covenant of love and care and compassion and forgiveness and grace is consistent, insoluble, permanent, and eternal. And in a world of constant confusion and failure and oppression and abuse, I ask us to return over and over and over and over to this bedrock statement of faith. God is a God of Hesed love. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that our best way of living is when we seek to take care of ourselves rather than always seeking our own way. It's hard to believe 
that when I'm concerned about your well-being, I'm also concerned about my well-being ultimately. I mean, if there's anything a coronavirus might teach the world is that we are all interconnected as humans in the same family. That we can't wall off one group against another. We can't even consider the treatment of animals to be something that is distant from us. How we treat the world, how we live with integrity, how we live carefully with one another has a rippling effect throughout all of life across political boundaries, geographical boundaries. We are all part of the same family. We are all in the same boat. And if we're always just concerned about ourselves, our needs, our wants, our desires, and nothing else, then we are weaving the threads of our own destruction. Just because no one else seems to be concerned about Hesed love, does that mean it's time to give up on it? It's time to consider it unfashionable? Or is it the calling for us to redouble our efforts, recommit ourselves to this way, birthed in God for us and the world, that says love is what I've always been talking about from the first page of Genesis to the end of times forecast in Revelation. I may question God's will. I may not understand God's timing. I may be frustrated with God's deliverance. But I never hope to question God's love. God's love for me might be a little bit like my love for my son Kyle, who moved to China last August to teach school. I may be powerless to do anything concrete for him right now, but that doesn't prohibit my love for him, but may in fact amplify it. Now I know for some they need more assurance. But over these years that I've looked back having lived, especially the ones I might mark as my most difficult or the most, most difficult kinds of experiences I've endured, I have found it utterly essential to hold to Hesed love for my sanity, my survivability, and my ability to cope. God may suffer with me. God may join in my frustrations and worry over the world, but God will never stop loving me or the world with me. And God's will is always for the best, even when the best is slow in appearing. And so this Lent, this season, as we look through the life of Jesus toward Holy Week and crucifixion and resurrection, I invite you to enter into the mystery of love that exists in God's own relational self. For now I conclude with the wonderful quote about doing good from Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She said, to show great love for God and our neighbor, we need not do great things. It is in how much love we put into the doing of them 
that makes our offering something beautiful for God. It's not doing great things, but it's doing everything, even the little tiny things, with as much love as we can cram into it. That's a Christianity that liberates us, that sets us free, a Hesed love that transcends our worrying and allows us to know that even in something the world may judge as insignificant, it is great before God. There is a battle going on for our better angels. We are struggling as Americans for what is the nature of our soul. I ask and implore, whatever it is you do, do it with Hesed love. As we now make our transition to a time of closing the service and entering back into the world of service, I invite you to open your hearts and minds and lives to the love of God, to respond to God with glad and generous hearts, and to allow God's way to be your way. If God is leading you toward decision, do not hesitate to share it as we all seek to be God's loving children, doing the works of love in the world. Consider that now as we sing this hymn, The Lord is God. Just a few announcements for you as we leave today. Uh, you'll notice in uh, your news and notes some things that are going on this week, especially we want to note the Habitat Build uh, on Saturday the 7th. Derek, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Um, we're going to be bringing uh, food 
uh, to the site so we can really use help out with that. Um, actually you'll find on the website if you go to that date on the calendar you'll find a link to our sign up genius page where you can go there and you can sign up to bring some things from sandwiches to apples and cookies and lots of things to help out for that. Uh, you can go online and sign up there and we can really use your help this week. There are, there are four dates in total we'll be doing that. So if you look on any of these pages for the Habitat Build, you'll be able to see a link to that and a way that you can help out and sign up there as well. Um, all those things need to be to uh, the site by 1130. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to join in with other churches in our community to help build a house and uh, a home for this family. So we're excited and grateful to be a part of that good work. You'll also see that we have a couple of races coming up, one of which uh, is the Shamrock Shuffle that will uh, support Habitat for Humanity and then after that the Flamingo 5K. So if you're wanting to get in a running habit or maybe just a brisk walking habit, uh, you have those opportunities to help out wonderful causes as well. You can find out about that. Uh, and then there is a business meeting bylaws change proposal that you may have heard about that's coming up at our, our upcoming business meeting. If you'd like to know more about that, uh, there are some copies of that on the sign-up table so that you can review that uh, before the business meeting uh, takes place, whenever we have that. That's what's going on coming up. Thank you so much for being here. It truly is a blessing to be a part of this beautiful and welcoming congregation with each of you. Now, if you would, receive this benediction. As you go into this world, may you go with the love of our Creator, with the power and the grace of our Sustainer, and in the steps of our loving Savior. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.